Welcome to Mental Health Conversations, a series of podcasts to help families and faith communities begin conversations on mental health. The goal of these podcasts is to provide education on mental health conditions, invite further conversations through discussion questions, and offer resources for follow-up. This podcast is produced by the Northeastern Minnesota Synod of the Evangelical Lutheran Church of America and is funded by a generous grant from the ELCA Disability Ministries, made possible through Always Being Made New, the campaign for the ELCA. The topic for today's podcast is depression, equipping ministry leaders. Our guest today is Emily Jacobsma. Emily has her Master's of Social Work and is a licensed independent clinical social worker. Emily works for as a crisis psychotherapist in an emergency room with Health East in the Twin Cities. Welcome, Emily. Thank you for being here today. Hi, thank you for having me. So we're going to dive in. We're talking about the topic of depression this morning. What exactly do you do as a crisis psychotherapist? Sure. So I... I'm a mental health therapist, and I work out of an emergency room. So I see patients who are in crisis, having acute symptoms. I complete diagnostic assessments with them. And then the patient and I work together to make a plan for what we're going to do. Um, When you say acute, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. So it can mean the severity is um, severe or that it happened in a sudden onset, all of a sudden, a big change. So when that happens with somebody's Mm -hmm. mental health, sometimes it means admitting them to the hospital for a safe place to stay. And other times it means that we work together to come up with a plan for them to go home and return to the community with resources. So that is my whole job. That's what I do all day. So these days, as people are coming into the ER, what conditions and trends are you seeing? Sure. So things that would bring somebody to the ER are um, a sudden impairment in functioning, struggling to even just do their daily life, Mm -hmm. eat, sleep, go to work, go to school. Um, And sometimes it's severe as suicidal ideation, psychosis, homicidal ideation, substance abuse issues, self-harm. There are a lot of reasons that my patients present to the ER. Quite a few. Mm -hmm. There's a big spectrum. My patients are really diverse. Um, I was going to say, is everybody the same who shows up? No. (laughs) No. I specifically work in a metro area and in um, a downtown um, urban setting. So I see people who are homeless and living in poverty, but we also have some suburban hospitals where we see people who are highly educated, really high-functioning, lawyers, athletes, honor roll students. Um, So it really, you know, mental health problems are you know, equally <laughs> affecting lots of populations of people. Absolutely. Mental illness and depression can impact anyone. That's what I hear you saying, despite mm-hmm. their background, despite their yeah. socioeconomic, mm-hmm. no matter what, just mental illness does not um, discriminate at right. all. Mm-hmm. I think that's really important to hear and for people to remember. Honestly, I just don't think that we can hear that enough, that mental illness can impact anyone. Uh, Yeah, everyone. Despite Mm -hmm. their background. So today's topic, 
podcast topic is to learn more about major depressive disorder, which we often talk about as depression. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us more about depression, um, specifically youth or teenagers in depression? Tell mm -hmm. us a little bit more. So when we talk about even more broad is just mental health. And there is a whole wide range of emotions and behaviors that we all experience as humans. Right. Um, Especially as teenagers yes. and young adults. Mm -hmm. And mental health professionals are looking at patients through the lens of um, clinical diagnoses. And so those are kind of groupings of symptoms and behaviors. So major depressive disorder is a really specific diagnosis a lot of people associate depression with sadness, mm -hmm. but clinical depression is m more profound than just sadness. It is marked by mostly impairment in functioning. So some examples are a patient or a person isolating themselves, a youth, you know, not wanting to interact with other people or their mm -hmm. friends like mm -hmm. they normally do. Adolescents specifically will often complain of aches or pains. A lot and of so people. That's the sign of depression, these aches and it pains. It can be okay. one of them. A lot of people with depression describe just feeling profound sadness. Mm -hmm. And they describe it sometimes as like being underneath ice and looking up at everybody or being behind glass. What an um, image. Yeah, just uh, like a feeling of not being able to reach into their daily life. You would find youth and adolescents to be more irritable than normal. You'd see a change in performance or attendance at school, increased appetite or decreased appetite. Um, I think people often think that it's going to be decreased mm -hmm. appetite, but I, that's an important yeah, piece to remember that it might mm -hmm. not just be decreased, it might be increased mm -hmm. or... And disordered eating is a whole other grouping of mental mm -hmm. health diagnoses. And so there is a lot of crossover amongst the different diagnoses. Right. But it, you know, any kind of changes in basic functioning could be a sign of an adolescent struggling with their mental health. And then another thing to look for specifically with depression is statements of hopelessness, worthlessness, helplessness, making statements like things are never going to get better. And then right. specifically what's really concerning is if you hear a youth or an adolescent mm -hmm. make references to being a burden to other people, that's a big warning sign. Okay. Making statements like um, my family would just be better off without me. I'm a waste of space, that kind of thing. And then other behaviors like self-harm, cutting or burning, that can be kind of a, a more severe sign of depression, not a, a normal or not a super common, but definitely one of the most concerning symptoms. Let's focus for a minute on cutting, burning, these pieces that we call self-harm. Mm -hmm. When a youth is depressed, they might do these, they might do self-harm to themselves, mm -hmm. such as this cutting or burning. Um, what does a parent or family member do if they start noticing marks on arms or neck or in areas yeah. that they don't typically see? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, um, you know, commonly you'll see self-harm on um, an adolescent or a teen's, like, forearm, but a lot mm -hmm. of times they'll do it in places that are hidden, like okay. on their legs. Mm -hmm. And you, why? You want to – well – 
There are many reasons. It can be a coping skill. It's an outlet because they're in such severe pain internally that Mm -hmm. they feel some sense of release to hurt their body physically. Mm -hmm. It can help them convey to the outside world how they're feeling. It's, you know, kind of a way to show how seriously they're hurting. There are a lot of reasons. It In in some rare circumstances, it can be a suicide attempt. And so anytime you see self-harm, you want to take it really seriously. You want to reach out, get a professional involved, make sure that the youth's, you know, safety is secure and that, you know, they don't need medical attention. And, you know, you want to act on it that day that you notice it. How would you approach that. So what might somebody say if if they see marks that they're not they're surprised to see or they're not used mm-hmm. to seeing? Is there any like a sentence or what what could I yeah. say to approach someone? I think that it's important as the adult whether you're a parent or you know another role model in their life that you as the adult stay calm and just name it and and point out what you're noticing say to them oh my word you must be in so much pain mm-hmm. you acknowledging know, acknowledge and really empathize mm-hmm. and say to them that we can get you help and even if it's not if they might notice cutting or self-harm but mm-hmm. the other signs and symptoms that you talked about as well irritability uh, the increased appetite or decreased appetite or, or Just profound sadness, sadness. Mm -hmm. change in mood. Yeah, I mean, really all the symptoms of depression, you do want to take seriously. You Mm want to get them help. And how can they get help? Or what what, what are next steps? So, So generally, when you need help for your mental health, there are a couple places that you would seek support, most importantly, would be a therapist. So a psychologist, a clinical social worker, marriage and family therapist, somebody that spends a good amount of time with you. Usually a session is like 45 minutes to an hour. They can do a diagnostic assessment to get you answers about whether you meet criteria for a depression diagnosis or not. You can start with a family doctor or pediatrician if you don't have access to a therapist. And then as far as self-harm and suicidal ideation, you would want to present to a hospital just to make sure that there isn't any medical attention that you need. If somebody is making those statements about being a burden or hopelessness or wanting to die, then that is the time to go to an emergency room. To take seriously. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And make sure that they don't need, you know immediate intervention that night to be kept safe. If a family member wants to simply learn more about depression, what are some of your go-to mental health sites that you refer, Mm -hmm. encourage people to to learn more? Yeah, so NAMI, it's N-A-M-I dot org, is my favorite website for families and adults to just get a baseline knowledge about these Mm -hmm. Symptoms and behaviors. They have lists on their website of support groups specifically for parents and loved ones. And then there's also an APA guide for clergy members as well. That's a really great resource. 
Emily, could you share with us a little bit about the importance for ministry leaders to educate themselves on the topic of depression? Mm-hmm. It is so important because ministry leaders are working with humans, and humans have mm-hmm. mental illness. Uh-huh. The statistics vary but mental health and depression is super prevalent. So even if you are working in a really stable community, mm-hmm. you're still going to find people with this diagnosis and with these symptoms and behaviors. It's also important because of the role that ministry leaders play in the mm-hmm. church. Mm-hmm. They are uniquely positioned to help youth. So they are often one of the first adults in a teen's life that is going to recognize changes in behavior. They oftentimes already have some type of rapport built up with the teen. And they're not the parent. They're not the parent, so so they have a different level of trust with them oftentimes. And they're they have a presence in the community. Therapists are sitting in clinics and in hospitals ready to help people, but we can't help anybody that doesn't come to us. And so ministry leaders have this wonderful opportunity to do some level of outreach with mental health when they are recognizing these issues in their youth. What can ministry leaders do to continue to break down the stigma surrounding mental illnesses and and to Mm -hmm. encourage the conversation on topics such as depression? I think it comes down to how you talk about depression. Providing hope is really important. Depression is scary and it's a super distressing thing for people to go through. But for family members too, everybody involved. Mm -hmm. But it's also a heavily studied area of medicine and there are a lot of really evidence-based interventions that are really effective. So people don't have to live this way. They might be feeling like it's hopeless, but there are really concrete things that they can do today to get help. So talking about it in a way that is warm and... um, conveying, you know, that a sense of comfort, um, that I'm not scared of the fact that you're struggling with this. And I am confident in myself as a ministry leader in your life that we can get you help. That comfortability can really help further that conversation or maybe open, welcome that conversation, Mm -hmm. especially if someone's feeling a little hesitant. Yeah. Some more concrete things are you can um, preach about depression or pray about people with depression or mental health. um, So maybe in the prayers of the people or Mm -hmm. certain parts of worship services, we can add in conversation or language. Mm -hmm. Really anywhere in conversation or language that you'd be referencing medical concerns that people in the congregation might be having, you could also reference praying for anyone in our community that might be struggling with depression. You can have pamphlets and, you know, pieces of information available for handout in your office or um, books on your bookshelf that um, people can take. You can open up your church for support groups. NAMI is an organization that is often looking for space. You can lead small groups about um depression or um, you can reference it in, you know, different things that teens might be going through if you're talking about that one week. Um, Another piece talking about small groups, mm -hmm. a resource that the Northeastern Minnesota Synod 
has are the mental health guides. And we have a specific guide on depression Mm -hmm. that can be found on the website for the Northeastern Minnesota Synod. And that's another tool that could equip people both to educate, but also to open the conversation Mm -hmm. and break down stigma. Yeah. And that tool has like really great activities and conversation starters. Really helpful. Emily, talk to us a little bit about the role of the church professional when it comes to acute mental health. Mm-hmm. So the ministry leaders in our church are already really well-trained on how to build rapport and have relationships Absolutely. with youth and mm-hmm. people in the congregation. And so I think that is instrumental in doing this work on depression. They can listen without judgment, give resources. It's just important to keep in mind when you're talking with youth and families that your role isn't to do the treatment or to do the therapy. You don't want to get into processing, you know, history or symptoms, but to kind of build up motivation for the youth to seek therapy and treatment and to refer. So to help them seek out the support, um, but not be the support. Mm -hmm. I think that's important. What you just shared is that the ministry leader is not the therapist, even Mm -hmm. if they have experienced some type of mental health condition themselves, or they might have some knowledge, Mm -hmm. they're not the licensed person. It's best Mm -hmm. to refer Yeah. So if you feel a sense of wanting to recommend a certain type of treatment or therapy or medication, um, it it might be best to refrain. You know, even if something worked for yourself, Mm -hmm. the person struggling in front of you might require something different. So the best thing you can do is refer them to a professional And then, you know, really just support that professional's recommendations. You know, whether you would follow those recommendations yourself or not, just know that that's the specific path for this youth and this family. And you can just play a huge role in their life by supporting them in going to that treatment. What does someone do when, let's say, so they've been referred to a therapist, but there's a super long wait, Mm -hmm. a wait list, like maybe a month or longer to get in to see that person. What can a family, what can a ministry leader, what can someone do in a situation Mm -hmm. like that? Well, so getting in with a therapist at all um, can be kind of a chore. And so Mm -hmm. ministry leaders, I think, can be really a, a huge blessing to families and youth by helping with that process if they want to and if they're comfortable. You can even have like a list of mental health um, providers in your community, in your office to give people. Um, you can educate them on how to call their insurance company and find Helpful. out what is in network for them because that is something a lot of people don't think about when they go to seek treatment is that there are some therapists in network or out of network. Um, so there's some proactive work. That yeah, there's some really concrete steps. Yeah, you could, you know, help them plan their transportation. Oh, if there's a, a wait list, that is really tricky. Um, sometimes you can get in with another provider if there really are no resources available. A lot of times you have opportunities for crisis intervention. Okay. Depending on your county, there might be a mobile team that can come out and meet with you or a hotline. 
there are... And you mentioned that earlier mm-hmm. in the podcast about counties. So to find yeah. your county number and there mm-hmm. might be more Just resources. Just on the county website okay. and search mental health. They should employ a mental health professional or social worker on their county team. Um, and as a ministry leader, we can encourage families yeah. or individuals or youth to mm-hmm. to be proactive and take that action and be yes. sit with them as they do mm-hmm. that, it sounds like. But the wait list is really tricky. And I think the longer somebody waits, the more their motivation to go can diminish. Right. And so to just keep supporting them in as that the plan. As a ministry leader, to yes. support them as, yeah. and encourage, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Just be another adult in the youth's life that is conveying the importance of getting that support because it's treatable. And often doesn't get better when left untreated, it gets worse. So, um, And so if those ministry leaders can continue to encourage, can continue to mm-hmm. check in and yeah. support in that wait time too, it sounds like that mm-hmm. that's a critical period. Yeah, I just think um, presence is really important mm-hmm. and, and being proactive and doing outreach. I mean, you certainly want to respect boundaries <laughs> with the family right. and, and the youth, but I think that there is not enough open conversation about mental health treatment in our culture. And the church and the ministry leader is really uniquely positioned because of their relationship to encourage that if somebody is struggling with depression. So what do ministry leaders need to know or what would be helpful for them to remember while they're teaching confirmation on youth trips or at events when youth that they're working with are experiencing depression? I think it's important for ministry leaders to know that their programming and efforts um, with the youth group is really not going to fully reach youth Mm -hmm. that are struggling with untreated depression. And it goes back to the symptoms of isolation, mm-hmm. poor cognitive functioning, uh-huh. oversleeping or undersleeping, poor self-care, all of those things are going to make it really difficult for them to engage fully with their peers and with you as a ministry leader. And so to just be flexible and meet them where they're at, educate yourself about this disease, make sure that there are an ample number of adults Mm -hmm. that are also involved in the ministry that are educated and competent, um, even just minimally have, you know, some vocabulary around this and know what to look for and how to support and just adjust your goals and expectations. So the goal for that youth might be different than their peers. And so your ministry with that teen or adolescent Mm -hmm. might involve more support around their treatment and their basic self-care and their functioning with the others in the group. And, And if you can kind of change your goals slightly and and prioritize those pieces until their depression is addressed and stable and they've got some healthier coping skills. In the long run, your ministry is going to be more effective. So from your experience, Emily, what is your hope for ministry leaders? So my hope for ministry leaders is that they would create an environment and a community for 
people with depression that is an answer to the isolation that depression causes, whether it's real isolation or the feeling of being alone in their Mm -hmm. mental illness. My hope is that the church can invite youth to speak openly and honestly and create a community that is understanding and loving and walking alongside them in this mental health issue that is treatable. And, Mm -hmm. And I think just to be a beacon of hope, I think is really important. And I think ministry leaders are in just the best position to do that for their youth. I think um, they can play a huge role and and their ministry will be more effective for walking alongside these youth and for helping them. Thank you, Emily, for sharing your expertise, your great ideas, your wisdom. We are grateful for your presence with us for today's Thank podcast. Thank you, Joy. Thank you for joining Mental Health Conversations, a ministry of the Northeastern Minnesota Synod Youth Ministry and Mental Health Initiative. These podcasts are an educational resource for parents and ministry leaders and are intended as a first step to begin conversations on mental health. The information provided here is not complete and does not cover all issues related to mental health. These podcasts should never replace the advice of a skilled mental health professional. Always seek the advice of a mental health professional or other qualified health provider for professional advice, diagnosis, or treatment if you suspect you or someone you know has a mental illness or mental health condition. If you or someone you know is in crisis, please call 911 immediately. If you are having suicidal thoughts, call 1-800-273-8255 to talk with a trained counselor. For more resources from the Northeastern Minnesota Synod Youth Ministry and Mental Health Initiative, visit www.nemnsynod.org slash mental health. Thank you for taking the time to invest in these conversations.